So we are live again with another uh, base training podcast. And this week we're going to be talking about your program design if you are at the beginner's stage of uh, improvement. Yeah. Um, firstly, though, as always, we're going to tell you where you can find us. Um, Stefan, why don't you start us off? Sure thing. Uh, I'm Stefan. You can find me on Facebook as uh, Stefan Window Strength and Movement Coach. You can find me on Instagram, coach underscore Stefan underscore Winder. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Stefan Winder MSC. Um, so you can locate me. I'm Will. You can locate me on Instagram, coach underscore Will underscore Strathdee. And I'm on LinkedIn as Will Strathdee. Um, yeah. Will, did yours have MSC on the end of it? It doesn't, but I should put it there. Hundred percent, put it there. Definitely, you earned it. Um, and you can find me uh, mainly on Instagram, Lee Carter UK, uh, LinkedIn, Lee Carter, and uh, Facebook, I think. I think it's Coach Lee Carter. Can't quite remember. Um, or you can email any one of us if any of you have any questions. Um, just put our name, so Lee, Stefan, or Will at base training. Um, if you're interested in becoming a client then just let us know and we'll be happy to um, consult you to see if that is possible so beginners program design Stefan where, where do we start uh, you always start with your assessment well I say assessment let's say consultation and assessment mm-hmm. We've got so, as well haven't we so what is, what is a what do we class as a beginner fitness so a beginner in fitness would be a training age of i'd say less well could be between less than a year like 12 months and 18 months uh really depends on their rate of progression and uh, how quickly they're able to respond to a the exercise and b um like their their neurological factors as well um so yes and it's able to i'll class it as uh if we, well, I like to refer to the uh, the conscious incompetence model. So, anyone who can perform the exercise but is unaware if they're performing it incorrectly, but they are, or if someone can perform it correctly but they're unaware of their mistakes, That's, that doesn't make sense, is it? If they can, <laughs> if they can perform the exercise um, and they're aware of their mistakes but they're not sure how they can fix them. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Got it out in the yeah, end. Yeah, in the end. <laughs> Excellent stuff. So we've, uh, we've, as we've kind of defined that beginner, we, we talked. You mentioned a little bit about assessment. Yeah. Why is this, why is the assessment so important? Well, I'm going to come to you for that, for especially for a beginner. Um, so it's important for for them and for the coach. Uh, so they, they can kind of almost draw a line and say, this is where you are. These are the things that we need to work on. And it gives them an idea of where they're at as well. So they're not going to get too overly confident and think that they're better than they are. Um, but on a coaching perspective, it allows you to almost start writing the program once you've seen them, seen the assessment. So you can know where their imbalances lie. Where if they can't do anything on a learning level or if it's purely strength issues um, and so that 
the assessment is the foundation of your program that uh, um, built upon what you see and how to perform in that in an assessment, we're, what, we're looking at sort of movements that, so if you're a client listening or potential client listening or just a listener, um, if you're looking for a place to start but you don't really know exactly where, assessment is going to be where that is. Um, we need to do some sort of basic assessment. So there has to be some sort of assessment of your body, um, whether that is uh, body calipers, i.e. skin fold, your body fat and muscle mass, you can do that on the bod pod things um, that you get at most gyms now. You've got one of the electrical bioimpedance uh, scales uh, that you can stand on that gives you a rough measurement of muscle mass to body fat. Uh, they're not that accurate, but it's a place to start. And if you constantly use it, it's a consistent measurement, um, relatively. <laughs> as long as all the other parameters like water intake are in place. Um, so then we want to be moving on to some sort of assessment of your ability to move. Uh, so can you touch your toes with your legs staying straight? Can you hold a, uh, a push-up position? How long can you do that for? Um, we've got things like, can you do a squat? What does that squat look like? So basic movement patterns of a push, for the upper body, a pull for the upper body, a hinge at the hips, and a uh, flexion of the knee is what we're looking for. And then after that, we're looking at some sort of work capacity test. Um, this can be something that's it's, it's got to be, what's the word, uh, uh, appropriate to your skill level. Remember, at this stage, you're a beginner, you can potentially be under a year of training age. You could be, this could be your first day in the gym. But we want to start somewhere. So it could be, you want to be looking for something low skill. It could be something like an assault bike or walking. Just how far can you walk in 10 minutes? Something that's going to assess your capability to do work. And then once we've got those three measurements, then you've got a good place, a good platform to build from. So, uh, Stefan, when we've done that assessment and we've got some data, what are the common things that... Uh, beginners are going to come up against like just speaking generally uh so like we're talking outside the gym as well yeah definitely okay uh so yeah there's quite a few things that they can like speed humps as i like to call them that can get in the way of someone like engaging and beginning their progress or their journey in fitness um so this could be things like family uh if they have like young children and they have to do the school run uh, that that tends to get in the way quite often, um, especially if someone is in that beginner stage because they they haven't got into their flow yet and they kind of they they might be a bit apprehensive, so they kind of use that as an excuse to to basically defer starting their their journey because uh, they maybe they, they feel a bit insecure and they don't want to be exposed as a beginner. Um, there's that as well, that fear of being exposed and being embarrassed potentially when obviously that's not the point. It, the point is to make them better and it doesn't matter where they start. Our job is to help them improve. Um, where, but some people really have, that is a genuine thing. Like they do have anxiety about uh, not being at the same level as anyone else when really um, they should be tre treated as an individual and made to feel as an, um, that they are an individual as well. Um, jobs. Um, we know that a lot of people we've worked with in Cambridge are commuters. 
a lot of them work in London, uh, high stress, high power job. Um, so they get the early morning train into London, they get the late train back. It's a long day. Uh, and particularly if it is a high stress job, uh, nutrition can play a part in that. They might not eat particularly well because they're constantly at work. They might be a lawyer, for instance. Uh, they're constantly going courtroom, back to the office, meetings, back to the courtroom, off to a different court around the country. It's, it's quite difficult uh, to commit that time at that point. Um, finance could be another issue for someone. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's it at the minute that I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> Anyone else got anything? <laughs> I think you brought, actually brought up a really important one that a lot of people won't talk about, and that's finances. Um, it's often, well, I've, in my experience, I've often found that most people will spend on their health what they have left at the end of the month. And this comes down to um, priorities and goals now. If you're a beginner, and let's say you're in a position where some people come to us where their health is deteriorating, deteriorating, sorry, and at a rapid rate, potentially, and they're declining at a rate that they, they that needs intervention, not where they have to do it or they want to do it, it needs it. And they go to a gym and they look, okay, how much do I have left to spend on this, uh, this problem? Where I've found success is when we can have a conversation with the client to say, okay, what do I need to budget aside before everything else to fix this problem? Because if you are, if your client or your listener listening and you're in that state, if you're not, your your behavior is going to dictate your priorities. And if you're in that state and a doctor's told you, you need to exercise, and the fact that you've been to a doctor should tell you enough, then spending what you have left isn't going to be good enough. It needs to be a priority, and your bank account is a great reflection of your priorities a lot of time because our behaviour dictates our priorities, your behaviour and actions. So aligning your your priorities, i.e. your behaviour and actions, with your goals is going to get you to where you need to be or want to be faster at a faster rate and more consistently and allow you to sustain it for a longer period of time. As I said, what people most mostly would do, and this is completely understandable, is is because it can be seen as a bit of a luxury to have a gym membership above maybe like the things you mentioned, kids, uh, family, work, travel costs, the car, all these other things that let's face it, you do need in this modern age to live your life after all of that and then after the coffees that you buy on the way to work after the food that you have on the weekend and the beers that you have on the weekend with your friends after that is what people spend on their health or in actual fact to live and do all of those things that we talked about have a good family have good sleep have good work life you need to be healthy and it's ironic that we prioritize it and i've done it <clears throat> prioritize it last because actually that's the thing that's going to um lay the foundation for you to have a more successful work life, family life, lower stress, better digestion, better sleep. <laughs> so actually prioritizing it is an important factor. And I think you hit on most of the points of, and we, I usually, and we usually, um, uh, group that into this, uh, thing we call lifestyle. So li- the lifestyle factors that affect 
your progression going forwards. We've also got things like nutritional um, factors that affect performance and affect people's training. Will, what, um, what in your experience factors have people come up against regarding their nutrition as, as a beginner? Um, so typically as a beginner, they're very new to, to kind of the world of health and fitness. They will probably just not be eating enough food um, because it, there's kind of a general consensus that the less you eat, you you would stay healthy and work on body fat. Well, we know that's like the opposite. If you starve your body, it's going to want to hold on to what it does have. Um, so they won't be eating enough, and that those calories that they are eating will be won't be made up of like, good nutrient dense food. So it won't be lean protein and vegetables. It will be uh, cheese sandwiches and meal deals and things that you can get from Tesco. So uh, a lack of good quality nutrition, or on the other side, it would be far too much. Um, they'll be eating way too too many calories per day and it'll be foods and takeaways and things like that so they're kind of both ends of the spectrum there for the nutrition um, and then just generally not enough knowledge around what they they should be eating um, or a good quality breakfast lunch and dinner and well it's kind of uh, nutrition and water sits within that as well um, not enough people drink what they should <laughs> like the body is made up of water mostly people struggle to drink a litre of water per day um, and the hardest thing for, for most clients I've worked with is just getting them to increase that yeah the, the behavioural um, factors around nutrition are that, that's the biggest thing that I come up against generally most people sort of what you're going to say well it's always one end of the spectrum. It's either just absolutely not enough or it's far too much. It's never good quality food, a good amount of it with no exercise. It's either just not enough or too much. Exactly. Yeah. I found most people know how to eat healthy or healthily. They generally have some behavioral habit built in somehow, somewhere, where they don't drink enough water, where they're not chewing their food, where they're trying to rush it. Um, where they're grabbing uh, meals from Pret every day, thinking that actually they're healthy. And they can be if, if placed within a balanced uh, diet, in quote marks. Um, but generally, like breaking those behavioral habits um, is the biggest challenge that I found. So, like you said, it's, it's great to say to someone, go and drink a litre of water. If they're not used to, if they're used to drinking 10 cups of tea a day, that's actually a, a bigger challenge because they're going to come down, they've got the addictive nature of caffeine already, uh, starting to play a factor already. Um, but they're, they're used to having a hot, something simple, it's used to having a hot drink as opposed to a cold one. Um, they've got the, uh, at the office when someone goes, Oh, do you want a cup of tea? It's easy just to give your mug over, like it's, but it's harder to get up out of your chair break your work uh, flow, go to the water fountain, which could be at the other end of the office, if there's one in there, go fill your water bottle up, come back, remember to drink it. Like, these are behavioural factors that actually are often overlooked. And as you said, water is the, it's the basis. It is, if, if we are de dehydrated, then nearly enough every function in your body is going to be affected. 
every function from hormone regulation to body fat regulation to your gut health and how you feel during the day so your emotional state all of that is going to be affected just by how much water you drink <laughs> a simple thing i've used with beginners is simply get them to buy a water bottle that has the time on where they need to drink the water totally being told to drink yeah and so for for a beginner that can be super helpful and i've had like, good success making them well making them uh, be better off with these bottles and, and it's worked very well for them it's just an instruction that someone's there they drink the water okay they, they just don't understand that they need it yeah it, yeah it's like the body has coping mechanisms that if it so for instance when a cell becomes dehydrated cholesterol levels increase to to stop that uh to to stop water leaking from the cell and so you go to the doctor and they tell you you've got high blood cholesterol and then they give you some uh, uh what's it called like vaso i think the diuretics they give you so to clear the uh the cholesterol and then you if you're not drinking to refill that cell for the water you become more dehydrated so it just exacerbates the problem and those medications stop working now there's a lot of people that are probably suffering from this uh, that, li- that could be listening. So if you are, drink water and your cholesterol will lower. Um, for most people, I would, I don't know what you guys, I, I usually recommend a like a 250 mil increase per two weeks. So if they're coming in and they say they drink half a litre of water a day, I would say, okay, let's do that for two weeks, every day consistently. And then when we get to the end of that two weeks if they've ticked all those things in the boxes because i program that through true coach um for those of you who don't know a true coach is the method in which we deliver our program design from nutrition to lifestyle to training uh, to our clients and in that <clears throat> our program it has a workout so they have to tick off and fill out how much water they drunk that day if the target was let's say a liter they have to fill out oh, i only hit 750 and then the reasons why um, so we can start working on it. If they've just forgotten, okay, how do we make them remember? How do we build it? Um, and that works a couple of ways in helping the behavioral things that keeps people accountable. Um, and it gives them a reminder to actually drink because it is easy just to forget because uh, we are so bad at recognizing our first signals that, um, cause when we, when you get dry mouth, that that's, you already de- dehydrated. So you need to be drinking before that. Um, I kind of lost my th- train of thought. <laughs> How much do you recommend? Yeah, so I usually recommend every two weeks if they've stuck to that uh, prescription, a 250 mil increase until we get to the recommended uh, daily amount, which is uh, for most people is about 60% of your body weight in ounces if you don't know. Um, what like, strategies have you guys? I suppose we, uh, we're, <laughs> we spend a lot of time on water, but it is important. What strategies have you guys used? Um, yeah, for me, like uh, very similar. So one of the one of my favourite ways to, to initially um, create a plan is to actually get them to collect like a food diary uh, with water and fluid intake being one of the elements that I look at. Um, and I also, although like I've never had any complaints before. I've also asked them to monitor kind of what their urine color looks like throughout the day as well. Um, cause 
a lot of people don't really pay attention to that either. Um, some people kind of like they'll go to the toilet numerous times a day and they'll not they'll not notice and then they'll complain of headaches and things and they don't realize the two are related so having a look at kind of where they sit like how dark or clear their urine is uh, and then actually monitoring what their fluid intake is you can get your base level of kind of where they sit on a good day what's good like how much fluid they actually need and you can work off of that in order to be hydrated so uh, if they're sitting on like a you know like a lighter yellow color uh, and they've consumed x amount of fluid in that day then that's my starting point so i'll make sure that they're drinking that much each day and then like you said week on week gradually increase that because if you try and say right i want to drink one and a half liters today they're just going to be going to the toilet constantly and they're actually going to lose a lot of that so like because their body can't handle it it's not like well what are you doing to me it's too much um so yeah it's got to be incremental but you need to find that baseline that's going to work for them and where they're going to be what's going to limit their the transfer to like a negative impact on their lifestyle so it's got to be beneficial for you and them um both yeah in their in their everyday life in their work but then also in their training as well and if they're starting to train they're going to sweat a lot more so you have to by nature increase the level of fluid that you're that you're taking in will what about you have you got any things to add to that any strategies that you use yeah, so obviously coming off a, of a conversation with the client, one of the questions I ask is when they drink their water. Um, what we don't want them to do is get to 10 o'clock at night just before they're going to bed, realise they haven't drunk enough that day, sit down a litre. Um, that's going to disrupt their sleep and things as well. So making sure they're hydrating on the front end of the day so they are not going to be disrupting their evening time routine um, is a good way to go. Especially most people tend to train in the evening. So if they're hydrating on the front end of the day around lunchtime as well, they're going to be ready for that session. They're not going to be dehydrated when they start training and they're not going to have uh, disrupted sleep when they download a litre of water before bed and pee all night. Yeah. I've been there. <laughs> You're like, crap, I haven't drunk any water today. Just neck a litre. And then, yeah, you are up all night. <laughs> um, excellent. So like, one of the things that has, has been more prevalent recently in the past few years is the the calorie deficit and people trying to lose weight when they one of the things a common goal for people is to lose body weight um when we kind of define that we like to clarify do they mean actual mass or do they mean body fat a lot of time it's body fat so we want to increase the in quote marks tone of their muscles and the visibility of their muscles and decrease the levels of the soft squidgy body fat and what most people will do which is quite right is decrease the amount of energy coming in the amount of food coming in and then they sustain that for a long period of time then it stops working so they decrease the amount again and again and again and again um, and at this point they're like okay something needs to change i need to go and exercise and they come to us or they come to another coach most coaches will go oh you're eating a thousand calories a day and you're not losing weight we need to decrease your calorie intake and we're going to decrease it to 800 calories a day and now you're exercising and still nothing changes and actually they put on weight put on body fat um what strategies and what problems have you faced 
that some of the listeners might be uh, might resonate with with that kind of topic. Does that make sense? Yeah. What about you, Stefan? Um, yeah, it's it's the classic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, a lot of people a lot of people uh, think that it's simple math and that um, if it's uh, less calories in equals uh, losing weight and it's just not the case Um, everyone is different Uh, food labels are inaccurate by about 20% that what might be in that that vegetable uh, when it's raw you might lose a lot of that when it's cooked when uh, it depends how you cook it depends what you cook with so many so many variables um and everyone's got their own individual basic basal metabolic rate so the, the amount of calories that they need just to perform and function every day um depends on the intensity level of activity there's so many factors and variables that can affect um how you lose body fat and that's what so i think the issue the biggest issue is probably lack of education and that comes through uh, that comes from the top, so that comes from the fitness industry saying, oh, like, try this diet, try this fad diet, less calories, or try try this fad diet, higher protein, less fat, you're going to lose body fat, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just lack of education. So having that conversation with your client and educating them on all these factors that can affect, and also, like, even their job can play a part in that. So if they have a highly stressed job, uh, obviously, we know that cortisol levels are going to be higher, and it's just going to—it's not going to allow adequate digestion of that food. It's not going to allow you to break down the necessary nutrients. You're not going to maybe get as much out as you would if you were, if you had less cortisol in your system at that time when you eat. Um, also, depends on what time you eat. So, if you're eating very close to bedtime, you're not going to digest all of it. It's going to be stored. Um, so, yeah, there's there's loads and loads of factors that can affect. Uh, losing body fat so it's just having that conversation with your client and educating them on these factors and then just making subtle changes and subtle tweaks to get that buy-in and then over time uh, just gradually gradually uh, progressing those tweaks so that we then have all these factors in place that we can allow that person to do what they need to do and lose that body fat so let's say a beginner has walked into the gym or they're just they're trying to get started in this fitness thing, but they haven't got a coach. What sort of things can they be doing to uh, to make a change with their nutrition? And let's say they're in a calorie deficit, they tried that and it stopped working. Now they're like, okay, I need to exercise. What can they do, be doing with their nutrition? So we know that is like, it's part, it's the part of the base of the pyramid, um, the nutrition, um, and yeah. that's on top of that. So what can they be doing to... To, to, to make sure that they don't get or increase body fat as such? Um, so it's, uh, I'd like to use the precision nutrition guidelines. I think it's fantastic because it's very specific to you. Um, so it's, first of all, cutting out the processed stuff. Uh, so instead of buying, you know, a, a pre-packaged pack of ham, get fresh ham from the deli counter or go to your butcher, get some fresh ham off the bone and making small changes like that, which is going to have more nutrient dense, um, like it's going to be more nutrient dense, sorry. So it's going to have more quality protein, more readily available amino acids that can be digested and absorbed easier. 
Um, so cutting out the processed stuff, using more whole foods, um, brightly coloured vegetables. Um, so, so it's well balanced, getting all the vitamins and minerals. And then, yeah, using a cupped hand. So get your portion sizes right, a cupped hand of carbs, um, a, a fist of protein, um, a thumb of fat, and two heaped hands of, uh, of vegetables per, uh, per meal. So lunch and dinner particularly, uh, using those guidelines, I think is that works wonders for people because they're now getting the nutrients that, and vitamins and minerals that they didn't have before. So their body's able to function more efficiently and also it's making sure that they're satiated with their food because they're actually getting portion sizes that are specific to them and once your body is now functioning in its optimum state it's then able to to help you shed that body fat because it it doesn't need it anymore it's not trying to hold on to it to allow that you you're now giving it the vitamins and minerals to enable hormone production it doesn't have to hold on to that fat yeah i'm I'm I think the, the key thing you said there was small changes. So trying to make big, multiple big changes in your lifestyle, because it is a big change, is, is this fitness thing. Trying to get healthy isn't easy. It takes uh, persistence, takes a long-term commitment. It's a, it's, it should be, a, well, I say should, it needs to be a, uh, a lifelong pursuit that is kind of, never complete that's kind of the, the annoying thing about it but small changes are going to be the way forward it's small steps like when we, we, we get taught this when we go when we're at school about revising you never it's never read this whole book it's read small chunks at a time bite-sized chunks um, and that, that, that's they say that for a reason because we were more able to turn those things into uh, consistent actions and things that you don't have to think about going back to the one of the first things you said about the competency the conscious competency and that's that comes to nutrition and lifestyle as well so can you do can you drink enough water without having to think about it during the day can you um have enough protein with your meal without having to think about it during the day is chewing your food taking your time a habit and if you try to do all of these things at once then you're setting yourself up for failure, unfortunately, and you're setting yourself up to rebound and get into a worse, a deeper hole than you were when you started. So small changes, it's going to be the way forward there. We talked quite a bit about nutrition and lifestyle, point, probably quite importantly, as they are the factors that are going to most affect your, uh, your ability to reach your goals. Obviously, training is going to have an impact upon that. <clears throat> if you're not starting with your lifestyle and nutrition then and, and, and at least looking at that and having a conversation with someone about the things that you can uh, do to improve it and build upon not necessarily change uh, is is going to limit you if you don't do that so let's talk a little bit about training we talked about assessment and where you should start when we assess then we kind of got veered off um, so let's say they've done the assessment, they can touch their toes, they can do a squat, they can uh, do three push-ups, and they can uh, do uh, a pull-up. Where do we where do we start? Like how do we start to design a program for a beginner? Um, I think we could probably talk about this from a, a coach's perspective on what 
we might prescribe um, and then a, a client can take away what they can from that so well, where, where do we what are we going to be focusing on most in these first stages of uh, development for a beginning beginner client um, so we're going to be focusing on uh, motor control uh, the, the movements are going to be generally <laughs> they won't be isolated movements but they won't be like the, the really large compound movements uh, so we're thinking just a, a lower body push patterning that could be split squat it could be a squat it could be a squat to a box we're thinking lower body pull uh, so it might be something as simple as a, a good morning a kettlebell deadlift um, with the upper body push and pull as well we think about pairing those exercises off to give them um, probably like an A1, A2, A3 piece in the workout and they're probably only going to take 30 minutes with low low sets, high reps at a nice steady controlled tempo and kind of building that out with the movements they need based on the assessment um, so we can we know if they, if they can't lunge let's bring them back to a split spot and build it from there um, I'm kind of just rambling now <laughs> Right. You, you mentioned about motor control and the idea of developing these patterns before we start to isolate it. A lot of people will go into the gym and most people learn through, and, and most personal trainers, believe it or not, learn the movements by watching other people. There, there aren't many courses out there that actually teach correct technique unless you go on Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting or specialist gymnastic uh, course or a specialist rowing course um, so most people don't get taught how to move correctly and what I say correctly there's there's no real correctly but safely uh, to maximize their chances of reaching uh, maximal potential so starting with these motor control or this idea of motor control learning basic patterns as Will said of squatting hinging at the hip pushing something with your upper body and pulling something with your upper body um, in a full body manner. So you're going to do, like Will said, um, <clears throat> maybe in one session a squat and an upper body pulling exercise. So a squat and a pull up, if you can do pull up or maybe a substitute that's appropriate to you. Um, a good morning and a shoulder press, maybe a, a split squat uh, and then a core exercise. And it's, I do full body resistance is going to be the most appropriate way forwards. And you can do that three times a week for a considerable period of time without ever changing the movement selection. Obviously we can add vari variation in there um, for enjoyment factors, but the variation doesn't necessarily come by doing random movements that absolutely have no, uh, what's the word? Um, reasoning behind them or no link to your goals and your needs and it comes within changing the tempo uh, making sure that we're actually doing these movements with a tempo and for those that don't know what tempo is it's basically adding the um the cadence of which you do something so if you're squatting we might take three seconds to go down if you're um you might pause at the bottom for two seconds might take three seconds to come up and just to catch your breath you might take two seconds so three two three one tempo um, and that's going to add control going a little bit slower and slowing it down helps that mind muscle connection it helps you recognize where you 
hard in space, which is a, another key part of why motor control is important because it's kinesthetic awareness and proprioception. What is your body doing? We talked about it in one of the other podcasts about um, a lot of people just don't know what their body is doing in space, especially when they go upside down or inverted. Um, people don't know. I, I, I still struggle with it. What are my legs doing? Where are they in space when I'm upside down? I've been training for since I was 14 and going upside down since I was like three doing judo. So <laughs> I'm now 31. Uh, it talks a little bit about <coughs> reps and sets. Why is it important to have slightly higher reps um, and on the lower side of sets? Um, so generally with the, the higher reps and you're probably going to be prescribing a tempo that is going to increase their time under tension which is going to help them build the control um, and generally if we've got higher reps the load is going to be lower um, so obviously for a beginner they're not going to be as strong so controlling the load the speed of the movement and it's the higher reps for a long period of time let's say they are again for a year so you can be building volume of those contractions um, which for them is just like compounding that kind of learning uh, factor for them as well helping them really understand that movement and if you're looking to increase muscle size then hypertrophy it's going to help to increase the cross-sectional area of your muscles and give you that toned look um obviously the, the adding nutrition into that is going to help you decrease body fat and that's going to get you to where you want to be from an aesthetic point of view as is tempo increasing mechanical and metabolic stresses so Exactly. Um, and we know the importance of that in building muscle and looking better, um, or what we perceive as looking better. One of the things you mentioned quite important is that we have to build volume in these repetitions. So for someone to ever progress from the beginner stage, if you haven't developed adequate volume through a vast array of movements, then you are going to plateau. And it's going to be a hard, if you haven't got a coach, um, then most likely you will start to lose motivation because you're not seeing the gains that you uh, uh, saw before. Your body's um, what's the word? Your body's use of energy is going to lower because it's not seen as a uh, challenge anymore. And you could, if you're continuing to eat because your metabolic rate and you hopefully you've done this slowly over time has caught up and you're now your basal metabolic rate has raised because you've got more muscle mass and lower body fat you need more calories to just live during the day um, it's going to be at a higher rate and if your energy consumption is now lower you're going to begin to put on body fat again if that's part of your an important goal for you um, so making sure that you build volume through these these movements and you don't skip the steps and try and uh, fast track your biology because ironically you can't not ironically it's just a fact you can't fast track your biology you can't cheat it um, for those that think you can do this in six weeks you need, you need to consider you might be in the beginner stage for two maybe three years depending on your training age because if you're starting from zero and potentially in a deficit then we need to just you need, the first six months are going to be spent building you up to zero before you start to make any proper progress, um, before you start to develop the control needed. And 
what most beginners will see is in a fast track model, um, i.e. high intensity interval training, hit training, or a fad diet, is a rate of improvement that is unsustainable and it's probably at first unimaginable. You're like, wow, I didn't think I could improve this fast. Now you are going to get the fast adapters, but most of the time, it's just because you are adding a stimulus to the body that it's not used to. You're going to get these fast results. And uh, <clears throat> we all know that when something happens really, really fast, the chances of crashing are higher if, man if managed uh, inappropriately. So building volume, one, and adding tempo, in, in essence, takes time. It takes longer to do, so take your time. There's no rush with this. Um, once you get to the uh, the next stage or the start of the next stage, you're going to be thankful that you did that because your ceiling for improvement has in, has gone up. And with a fast track model, it, it plateaus and it, it stops you going up and improving. And at that point, you lose motivation. You're, you start you stop seeing results. Bad habits start creeping back in. Um, you might pick up a few niggling injuries because you're trying to go harder or you're just adding weight too quickly, or you're trying, trying just to go faster, you're trying to sweat more because you think effort in equals results. Um, and there's two sides to that story. You get injured, you go to a therapist, they're like, okay, take six weeks out of training. Um, or you go to a doctor, they're like, yeah, you shouldn't train, so you stop training. Six weeks later, you lost motivation, you can't be asked to go back to the gym again. You cancel your membership, and six months goes by, and you're back to where you started. Potentially worse. Um, square one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so building volume is going to help you just to slow down. Just adequate volume is important. Um, that doesn't mean go in. That doesn't mean your first session you need to do a thousand reps of every exercise. You start at one rep of every exercise. Uh, controlled tempo. At, least, uh, at body weight if necessary, and the next week you add two reps, next week you add three reps, four reps, five reps, six reps, until you're at a point where load and volume kind of, what's the word, um, are competing with each other. Now we have to, and now at this point, you're two years down the line. If you've done small incremental changes in your training, in your lifestyle, but you've, you've reached and most likely surpassed your goals. And now you're at this uh, intersection where a beginner starts to turn into an intermediate and you need to look maybe for some education or for some guidance um, and start to manipulate the training variables to get to the next level if we ever decide to go there uh, which would be advanced um, I've rambled there <laughs> you need to stop me um, so when we're developing these patterns and things we talked a little bit before we actually started about um, imbalances and structural issues. Uh, why is it important to learn patterns before doing parts to um, balance out imbalances and structural issues? Stefan, what's your thoughts? Say again, you, you yeah. confused me. <laughs> huh? Say again, you've confused me. <laughs> so before we actually started talking, we, we mentioned about um, structural issues and imbalances. Yeah. 
um, how to fix those. So some, most people will go in, um, like from myself, I've got a little bit of scoliosis. Um, my right shoulder drops lower on my left. And if I don't progress volume <clears throat> slowly enough and over time to build the adaption and the resistance, I end up with some sort of niggling issue in my shoulder. Um, a lot of people are going to be in a position where they're hunched over a desk all day, they're kyphotic, so their upper back is rounding too far forwards, they're on their phone all the time, and they've got their left legs uh, weaker than their right, so they've got some of these structural imbalance issues. And then they go in and go, okay, cool, I'm kyphotic. Base training told me to strip press when I can't even lift my arm above my head. So where do we need to start? Or where does a client need to start before going uh, and, and hurting themselves, I suppose? Um, right, okay, so you've got to address that underlying issue um, before you start to, to load up the issue and make it worse. Because um, we know that if you're loading a bad movement pattern, it's only going to end one way, and that's injury or death. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, so everyone's just pulled their headphones out and are running for the hills now. <laughs> no, so um, too fast though, you might get hurt. <laughs> yeah. So no, you got to. Um, so it's basically it's, it's going to happen over time. Again, it's like like I said, it's not going to. It's not an immediate effect. It's, you can't cheat your biology. It's going to take some time, um, but it's just making that conscious effort to address that issue so um a great way of doing that is in your warm-up so out of your assessment you should have in your head the outline of an ideal warm-up for that person based on what you've seen so if we know on a squat they've got a lateral hip shift to the right that we know that their glute me probably isn't working correctly on one side so you should be doing some glute me works in your warm-up so things like lateral lunges things like seven-way hip exercise um, clamshells, all that kind of stuff, that should be addressed um, before we then start to incorporate this into the movement pattern and load it up. Because that, at that point, we know that these muscles are now activated uh, from a neural side. You can feel them working. You probably get a little burning sensation, especially if you're doing things like, I don't know, banded crab walks. Um, if anyone's ever done them, you know you start to get a cheeky little burn in the side of your glute. Um, so at that point, you know that it is now working. And the reason it's burning because you don't use it enough and at that point you know that it's now firing correctly so you can safely incorpor incorporate these movement patterns and that you're going to be performing them correctly loading adequately so that you can actually make some decent progress in your in terms of your actual um i suppose movement uh efficacy i suppose a good way of describing it so you have to address those underlying issues before any kind of loading takes place because you're just going to accentuate that problem and make it worse for yourself. Like I'm, for example, I'm very similar to you, Lee, like my left shoulder sits higher than my right. And if I try and overhead press cold, um, I know that my, le my left side really struggles to get up and I actually end up in a really compromised position. Bar starts to fall backwards. My shoulders start to really stretch and it really hurts. <laughs> so making sure I've addressed those issues, doing my specific warmups before I actually incorporate those movement patterns, load it up. Um, means that I'm able to then do that safely, correctly, and make some good gains when I'm training. Yeah, we use um, warm-ups. Um, I think for a beginner, that warm-up, we, we use the term warm-up, but that can potentially be your session. Um, and it, as, as a beginner, we don't necessarily have time to 
and we know the, the kind of conversation around time, but if you generally just have an hour to train every day, going in and warming up for 15 minutes may not be the best way. We may, it could be that you should, or you should be able to just walk into the gym, do activity and walk out again. Cause that activity shouldn't be intense, so intense that you need a long warm up and you need to prepare yourself like you're going to battle every time you walk into the gym because you're not um, it should be stuff that we're just doing every day which we would have done 50 60 years ago just working going out into the field and plowing a field maybe put that back 100 years ago you didn't just sit you didn't stay in there and do your warm-ups for us yeah, lots of different not doing lunges and stuff <laughs> yeah that is your strength work if right because the way we work is it's a little bit unconventional um, in terms of our ability, our ideas around fixing movement or bad movement, what we would consider bad movement patterns, disruptive movement patterns. We give some funky lunges out. Um, that would that is your strength work because your weakness is upper back mobility. Cool, we're going to do some exercises to strengthen that weakness. So it is your strength work. It's not a in quote mark warm up, um, but but Stefan is absolutely right there. Like addressing those issues before um, you add another layer on top of it, it's gonna be massively important. It's like when you bake a cake, isn't it? You gotta get the tin out before <laughs> before you actually do anything, and you gotta get your utensils out to make the cake and the ingredients out. Um, and that is what we're trying to do: is address those issues by getting the utensils out. I love an analogy. I've not used that one before. Uh, I'm going to lie, that was quite good. Do you agree, Will? Yeah, definitely agree. It's just the the factor of addressing why why these issues are occurring um, and working on that to, I say, quick balance the the overall pattern. Yeah. That that is some program design, isn't it? That's what's going to make up the bulk of your program for the first few months potentially or a few weeks depending on where that person is and their rate of adaption and training age and all that sort of thing um i think we covered quite a bit there i suppose the last bit is when does someone know that they're coming to the end of the beginner's stage um so for me uh again i'm going to come back to that conscious competence model absolutely love it um if someone can perform a movement or they can carry out their lifestyle practices on a daily basis um, without having to think about it um, or if they do it wrong or like it say they've got one bad rep in there and they could tell when that bad rep was and they're able to fix that rep throughout the rest of the set I think at that point you are shifting into that intermediate stage because you've developed adequate proprioception your your lifestyle practices and habits have become habit um they are habitual you're doing them without actually thinking um and you've become like you've become aware of the bigger picture so you know that you need to progress into that there's something like a ceiling on you now you know that you've kind of maxed out what you can get out of that out of what you've been doing in terms of getting all these elements in place nutrition lifestyle training You've kind of made that trifecta. You've maxed it out for where you are currently. So you need to then start to look at how we're going to progress. So I think at that point, 
um, they need to shift into that intermediate step because they are, yeah, they're consciously aware of what's happening and anything that goes wrong, they have developed the ability to fix it themselves. What about yourself, Will? Is there any other factors that you look for? Um, I wouldn't say like yes for sure. It does, does come down to the individual uh, as well, kind of where where they sit on the. Some beginners are always going to be better than the others. They're always going to progress faster. Um, you could reassess them, like Stefan said, reassess them and see kind of how they um, understand their movement. I probably suppose this is the biggest one. It's just how they, they how they understand how they move and yeah. The best thing with beginners is you can test regularly. Um, yeah. Because you can't dig deep enough neurologically to to burn hot. Most cases we're not strong enough to develop max power and force. So you don't need that much time to recover. So you can test things like how many push-ups you can do every week. Um, and we use a standard like of three reps. Can you complete three perfect push-up reps? So where your shoulder blades are in the, the best position, where your midline is staying uh, static and in control, and your elbows and all these sorts of factors that um, we look for in the technique points in a push-up. Same with pull-ups. You can test them every week and you'll be fine. Uh, it's because your body will perceive it as a training session and not a testing session. Whereas as you move more to the advanced stage, it might be that you test once every year because you can dig so deep that you need three or four months to recover from that. And that might be, and if you're at that point, um, if you ever get to that advanced level, which most people won't and don't need to for health, uh, you're probably competing at a, a very decent level um, and that test is the world championships for example and that's how we test um so like you said regular assessment to check where you are um, as you go through your training age and your training age increases from the year to two years to three years and for myself i would say that most people obviously disregarding a rate of improvement are going to hit the uh, intermediate stage if they've done everything correctly so that they've developed volume in movement patterns, various movement patterns and all the ones that we look for. Um, if they've got their lifestyle and nutrition under control, it's habitual as Stephanie mentioned, um, and they, they're going to hit that point around about the two to three year mark. Uh, that's when you're going to start to see things aren't coming as easily, that improvements take a little bit longer. So instead of every week adding five push-ups it's now every month you're adding five push-ups and then it moves every two months and you're like okay where is, where do we start to get diminishing returns where you're just not improving and it's that point just before that starts to happen is where we need to intervene to say okay cool we need to make a slight adjustment we're now going to move on to splitting um these parts so you might have uh, a, a squat day um, and a hinge, a squat and a pull day, or a hinge and a push day, and, and but that's moving into intermediate program design, which is another podcast there. Um, as you said, like movement competency for me is a big one, and competency in nutrition and lifestyle. And we've got standards that we use, uh, various. I won't go through them now. Um, 
three push-ups being one of them, a 90-second side bridge each side, and what else is there? Uh, a good squat, a good technical squat, um, a good hinge. Can they move well to start to move, start to program something slightly different? Um, I think we covered most of the stuff there, didn't we? I don't think we've got anything. It was a good hour there. Yeah. <laughs> Rambling. <laughs> So for those, we'll, I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, for those that are listening, remember, hopefully you've now gone on to our uh, respective social media pages. You've liked, followed and subscribed to us. Um, you're now composing an email that is titled, um, help, can I start, can I become a client of base training? and you're typing it i'm going to give you some time to type it <laughs> whilst you're listening to this and you're now clicking send and we have just received it Boop. and we're going to be replying back soon as uh, <laughs> so <clears throat> next time we're going to be talking about uh, program design for intermediates um, and qualities to look out for uh, points to improvement how to do it and how we approach it as coaches yeah, so on behalf of the base training team, peace out.